The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles earlier to Genesis 45, and that's where we will pick up here this morning. We're going to make our way through uh, a little bit of, of the, uh, the next couple of chapters, if you may, and we'll probably just kind of highlight as we go from place to place and, and uh, jump into here and there. But um, we, of course, uh, we've been looking at Joseph's life, and, and we've seen how he was the 11th of, of ultimately 12 brothers, and uh, he was kind of the favorite, and, and uh, he was, his dad gave him a special coat because of it. All these things, we've discussed this over the last several weeks. His brothers, brothers hated him, uh, threw him in a pit, ended up thro- uh, selling him into slavery. He sold into, as a slave into Egypt, into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar uh, gives him great responsibilities. He's pretty much running Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar's wife lies about him, tries to get him to commit uh, adultery with her. And, uh, and when he would not do so, she accuses him of rape. He ends up in prison because of the accusation. Uh, he's there kind of uh, just in an impossible situation, as, we, as our, our series is called, Possibilities in the Impossible. Uh, he meets a butler and a baker. They've had dreams. He's a, God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams and tell them what's going to happen. Those things take place. And of course, the butler is able to be restored back into uh, the Pharaoh's court. And while he's there, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. He remembers, hey, there's this guy in prison that told me my dream and it came true. Uh, maybe he can help you. So they get Joseph out of prison, clean him up. They bring him before uh, the uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh he, he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream accurately and even give some, uh, some input on how to uh, approach the, the results that will be coming from this dream as well. So because of that, Pharaoh makes Joseph uh, his prime minister, if you may, the second in charge of the most powerful nation in all the world. And so it is through Joseph in which anyone who needs food during this time of famine, uh, when they come to Egypt, it's through Joseph that they have to purchase it. Well, just so happens, well, maybe not just so happens, but it, it does happen that, that his brothers, uh, they're in need of food. And so the only way the place they can find it is in Egypt. So they get together, the oldest 10, they come to Egypt and, and uh, they stand before Joseph. Joseph, had no, or Joseph knew who they were, but they had no idea that it was their brother, Joseph, that they were standing before, that they were buying food from. And we've discussed all the events that have taken place towards that end. Joseph, of course, asks about their family, that, any family that might be at home. He asks about their dad, and they say, yeah, he's still alive. Of course, that's Joseph's dad. He's just trying to see if his dad's still alive. He says, what about, uh, do you have any other siblings? We, we have a younger brother. He's at home with that as well. And, and uh, so as a proof of that, uh, Joseph says, well, if you want anything else after this runs out, the only way you're going to get it is to uh, be able to bring your youngest brother with you. He kind of claimed that he didn't trust them. He thought they might be spies and all those types of things. And so he's saying, prove it and all that. So they go back with their goods. In fact, they not only go back with the things they bought, but with the money that they bought it with because Joseph gave it back to them. And when they get back, um, 
It comes to the point where they need food again. He be- they beg uh, dad to send Benjamin with them, and uh, he- he's reluctant. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to lose his youngest uh, like he's lost Joseph. And so uh, evidently and eventually he says, okay. And so he sends the brothers with the youngest Benjamin. Uh, he sends them with the money that they bought the first food with uh, to give back because it should have been there in Egypt anyways. He sends extra for buying more food, and he sends some gifts along with them. We discussed all of that as well. They come before Joseph, and Joseph, of course, lets them have a dinner with him, and he, uh, he, he lets uh, Simeon out of prison as he had kept him as well behind as, as uh, collateral, if you may, like prove that you're not sl- uh, spies and all of that. Nevertheless, all of this has been taking place. We've discussed all of that. And now, we, like last week, we discussed how Joseph revealed that it's him, that, it's, that he's their brother, the one that the, over 20 years ago they had sold into slavery, hoping to be dead and such. And, and, but in the passage before us today, uh, that we're, the part we're going to get into, Joseph is now sending his brothers back home. He's sending his brothers back to Canaan, back to their dad, uh, and he's sending them back to, to Canaan, uh, to dad, to bring dad and the rest of the family, all the, everything that they have, all the people that would be a part of their family, bring them back to Egypt. He says, I've got a place that I'm going to give to you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to take care of you. And uh, they've all been invited to, to move back to Egypt where they can be fed and where they can be protected by Joseph. As we come to our text this morning, though, we see Jacob... Uh, finding out that his son Joseph is still alive. Can you imagine, like, oh, for over 20 years, thinking that he was dead, and then coming to the realization that he's still alive? We'll, we will see him leave his home in Canaan to go to Egypt to meet his son that he'd, been, he'd loved and that he'd longed for for all these years. And as we move, or as we watch and read uh, Jacob in his old age, moving out of Canaan, and moving into Egypt to to see all this take place, we're going to see God bring a great tragedy to a great victory. We're going to see God take a a time where he thought all was lost, a time of pain and sorrow, a time of, uh, of just utter despair and dread, and really turn it into a time of victory. Uh, there's some facts that we can draw from this story here. And uh, the facts in the story tell us that God can take what seems to be an impossible situation and turn it into a possible one. And that's kind of been the whole theme of this entire study as we've gone through this life of Joseph to this point already, is how God takes the impossible and makes it possible, possibilities in the impossible. And I want to point out three things here this morning, and then uh, we'll move into the next hour after that. But first and foremost, take your Bibles, look at Genesis 45, and look at verses 25 and 26. Verse number 25 and 26 of Genesis 45. It says, And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father. Notice verse number 26, And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Can I say as we consider how God is taking uh, these these tragedies and this this pain and sorrow and is ultimately going to turn it into victory. First, we notice that this tale here before us, it involves a tale of worries. It involves a tale of worries. 
the life of Jacob, the father here. The, the, uh, when I, the way I said that reminded me of Home Alone. I'm Kevin McAllister, the father. Never mind. Anyways, that's just, uh, it's just uh, boom, right in my mind. But uh, Jacob, the father here, he's like, he, he, he's, he's, he's lived a life of worry. I mean, Jacob's name itself, it means deceiver, right? And all of his life, he's, he's seen tragedy on one hand to the next, and, and it's been a life full of struggles, it's been a life of heartbreak. He, uh, he grew up in a, a home full of t- turmoil, his own family life was full of turmoil. I mean, his brother and he, he couldn't get along, him, Jacob, the father here, Esau, his brother, and, and uh, he, ended, he ends up... He ends up uh, stealing his brother's birthright, and because of that, he ends up having to pretty much live a uh, the life as someone that was had a warrant out for them or a wanted man, if you may. He ends up living with his uh, uncle Laban, right? And uh, he works for with him for quite a while, and and uh, he's actually working so that he can uh, can marry one of the daughters, Rachel and uh, Rebecca, Rachel. Rachel's right. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Rachel, and, uh, and uh, he's trying to, but, but, you know, Laban, he pulls a, a fast one over him and actually has him marry the oldest, Leah, and, and he has to work longer for, for Rachel and all these things. I mean, it's just been one disaster right after, after another for Jacob. And as we consider this, this man, Jacob, who's receiving great news, he's receiving the news that his son is alive, but we read in verse number 26 that his response to that is that his heart fainted because he didn't believe his sons. I mean, after all, part of the reason why his life has been a wreck is because of the sons that are giving him this good news. They brought him over 20 years ago bad news that Joseph was dead when that wasn't even true. But we find here first and foremost as we consider this tale of worries, notice with me Jacob's disposition. As we said, from an early age, Jacob had been taught to expect the worst. Everything in his life pointed to, this isn't going to work out. This isn't going to be good. He'd been trained to be a doubter. He'd been trained to be a warrior. And the events that he faced in his life kind of led to all of that. I mean, consider this. His mother helped contribute to this. The Bible tells us in Genesis 27, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 5 through 30, that she led Jacob to believe that his father loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And then in Genesis 27, verses 41 through 45, we find that she convinces Jacob uh, that Esau was out to kill him and that he should flee and leave from home. Not only was his mother one that contributed to this life of worry and dread, but his uncle also contributed to this. We mentioned it a moment ago, but in Genesis 29, verses 16 through 30, uh, he deceives Jacob when he gave Jacob Leah for a wife instead of Rachel. Uh, in Genesis chapter number 30, he uh, deceived Jacob when he made his work, made him, made his uh, work all those years uh, for his wives and, wives and for the flocks that he would receive. In Genesis 31, verses 17 through 55, uh, we find that Laban even kill, uh, threatened to kill Jacob as as well. And so he's, he's a part of all of this life as well. Jacob's wives also contributed to a life of worry and concern and fear. And uh, Genesis 29, verse number 32, Leah accused Jacob of not loving her. In Genesis 30, in verse number one, the one that he really does love, Rachel, she blames Jacob 
for her failure to be able to conceive children. And so it's like one thing after another. It's your fault. You better watch out. Your brother's going to kill you. Uh, hey, I, I'm your uncle, but I, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. you know? And one thing after another, one thing, one family situation, one situation of life after another helped contribute to this disposition of worry in Jacob's life. But not only that, his sons contribute to this disposition of worry as well. In Genesis 37, verses 31 through 35, they came to him carrying a coat, Joseph's coat. They had killed a goat, though, beforehand, and they tore his coat into shreds and dipped his coat into the blood, and they came to their father saying, this, we found this coat out in the wilderness. We know it's our brother's, brother Joseph's coat, and uh, he was nowhere to be found. Just his coat and his torn shreds, surely a beast must have devoured our brother. And they lied to their father about this, that Joseph was dead. The events of his life just seemed to contribute to this disposition of worry in his life. He was forced to leave his home. He was deceived by his uncle. He, was, uh, he lived with four wives and 12, at least 12 children. His sons, uh, with the exception of Joseph and of Benjamin, were evil men. Uh, his own home was filled with immorality and sin. His wife died. His brothers hated, brother hated him. His sons deceived him. His favorite son was stripped away from him. And so everything in Jacob's life seemed to train him and to promote to him that, hey, you ought to live in doubt. You ought to live in worry. I wonder how many of us maybe have kind of looked at our life in the same manner. Everything in my life always just kind of falls apart. My family background, my relationships, whatever it might be. Maybe it was a friendship that you had, and, and, uh, and you thought it was a strong one, and it was just ripped to shreds. And I'm just saying, like, you look at the events of your life, and it seems like they're always falling apart. They're always dreadful, and therefore, it's kind of trained you, like Jacob, to live in this life of worry, this life of fear. You hear voices in your head because of it maybe saying things like, you are worthless. I wish I'd never been born. Uh, I'm just a loser. Sadly, these things are a part of our world. They shouldn't be, though. They are part of our world, though, because they're a product of sin. Uh, and when they happen, they can have devastating uh, uh, impacts, and they can mark our minds and our life for our entire life. This is why the Bible tells us that we've got to try to protect our mind. This is why the, the, the Bible tells us that we should uh, watch out for the attacks uh, from the flesh and from our enemy Satan in 2 Corinthians 10 and verses 3 through 6. And uh, we ought to even preach to our own hearts, teach our own hearts now and then, and be reminded that uh, in Jesus Christ, things are different than they were before maybe, as 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us. Our past and our problems <clears throat> excuse me, should not be allowed to shape the person that we are today. If we're in Christ, if we know Jesus as, as our Savior, our past and our experiences should not shape who we are and how we live. We not only see his disposition, but notice Jacob's doubts as well. See, his sons return from Egypt and, <clears throat> excuse me, they come to him with good news. They tell him that their father, or they tell their father that Joseph is alive and well, he's in Egypt. They tell him that he's a ruler in an entire new land, that he's, he's the one that's been helping to sustain them. 
And uh, when Jacob hears this, the Bible tells us there in verse number 26, his heart fainted. If you may, it maybe skipped a few beats. And he just couldn't believe what they were saying is true. Jacob held so tightly to the belief that Joseph had died over 20 years before that he could not even grasp the truth that there could be a chance that he was alive. The good news that he had heard was simply, if you may, too good to be true. Yeah, exactly. That's how he kind of looked at things. And, and that's the issue with doubt when it comes to our lives. Worry and doubt, we, we begin to think, well, that just can't happen. It's just too good to be true. But the problem with doubt is that it has the power to extinguish the flame of faith in our hearts. Doubt is able to uh, attack us. It's a powerful weapon. I mean, the Bible throughout the scriptures point to what doubt tries to claim. And, when, and honestly, when doubt claims it, it's absolutely not true. In John chapter 11, verse number 39, doubt looks into the face of life itself, into the face of Jesus, and doubted his power to be able to accomplish the resurrection. In Mark chapter 5 and verse number 35, Doubt told Jarius this, don't worry, or don't worry about it any longer. It's too late for your daughter. Don't trouble the master anymore. In Luke chapter 5, in verse number 5, doubt told the creator that it was the wrong time and the wrong place to fish. Jesus is with Peter, right? He says, hey, cast your net out there. What did Peter say? We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. And doubt said, hey, no. The Creator doesn't know better than you. Doubt told the Lord in John chapter 6 and verse number 9, Doubt told the Lord God that there were too many people and just simply not enough food for the five loaves and two fishes. Doubt told the prophet Elisha that there was nothing in the house but a small pot of oil. And doubt in every sense, in every case, doubt was always wrong in every single one of those situations. When, when, when Elisha thought that there was only a little pot of oil in there, there was enough. When, uh, when doubt said that there wasn't enough food for the five loaves and the two fishes, doubt was wrong because there was enough. Jesus was enough. And, and doubt was wrong in every single case. And doubt, my friends, is always wrong. When doubt comes your way, remind doubt whose you are. Remind, it, remind out that you are God's, and He is a God of matchless and limitless power. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, Ephesians 3, and verse number 20. He is a God who can do anything He pleases to do, anytime He pleases to do it. He can even take a situation like the one before us in our text and change it all around for His good and for His glory. He can take a family that is utterly messed up. Talk about dysfunctional. They are the dysfunctional family. You, wanna, you turn on any sitcom on network TV, on primetime TV th uh, this week, and you're going to find it, probably the, 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 the main family in the, is going to be a dysfunctional family. They don't have, they don't have traditional like, lovey-dovey families anymore, it seems like, in any shows on TV anymore. And they're all dysfunctional. But no matter how dysfunctional you might find a family on TV in our world today, Jacob's family was even worse. But God can take a family like Jacob's and the dysfunction that is found in it, and he can change it all around. He can take the situation. Look at, take your Bibles, look at Genesis 37. Genesis 37, and look at verse number 30. Genesis 
here we find that the, the, the brothers had just said, you know, hey, your, your son's dead. He must have been eaten. Look at verse number 30 of Genesis 37. Genesis 37, 30. Here is Jacob's words. And he returned unto his brethren and uh, said, the children is, the, the child, I'm sorry, is not, and I, whether, uh, and I, whether shall I go? And we find here that when we move into Genesis 45 and look at verse number 26, here's the words now. The, the announcement was he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not, the child is not. But Genesis 45 and verse number 26, it says, and he told him saying, Joseph is yet alive and is, it says here in verse number uh, uh, 26 again, and is governor over all the land of Egypt. See, my friends, God can take the message that Joseph is not and change it to Joseph is. And the, the, the negative of Joseph is lost, he's no longer alone and or, or alive, and Jacob had been in his home crying, he is not, he is not, he is not, he is not, he is not. And the God of heaven is able to bring the truth so that he could cry out saying, he is, he is, he is. Psalm 37 verses 3 through 5, trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land and ver verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. My friends, we find that, as we're discussing this morning, that it is enough. What is enough? Oh, the power of God is enough. And we find that this, this, the facts of that are coming into Jacob's life. And this is a tale, yes, of how God changes pain and sorrow into great victory, but this tale includes a tale of worries. But notice with me, secondly, this morning, as we move on down the, the chapter here, in chapter verses 26 through the end of the chapter, verse number 28, notice that it involves a tale of wagons as well. Verse number 26, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, he is, yet, is governor over all the land of Egypt, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which had, he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. I want to point out something real quick. We'll come back to it in just a moment. But look at verse number 25. And that went out unto Egypt, out of Egypt, came into the land of, of Canaan unto who? Jacob, their father. In verse number 28, when he finally believes them and sees that hope is real, notice what, he says, what it refers to him as. And Israel said. You've got to remember that Jacob was the name that he was born with. Jacob meant deceiver. Jacob was the one that experienced all this trouble and heartache and sorrow. But there was a time that Jacob had a time with the Lord, and the Lord changed his name to Israel. In Jacob, Jacob, the deceiver and the deceived one, he worried and he fretted. But when he found the truth of what God had done and what God was doing, his faith was restored and he responded as God's child, as Israel, instead of the lost child of Jacob. That's just, we'll come back to that. But we find here that the sons of Jacob, he, they re, they've returned from Egypt with incredible news. 
news that Joseph is alive. Jacob, however, could not comprehend what he was hearing. His sons had concrete evidence that what they were saying was true, but he was still yet not willing to believe it. They, uh, they told him all of the words that Joseph had said unto them, but he said, he said, it's still not enough until they gave him the physical proof of some wagons. You say, some wagons? What is that all about? Well, the reason for the wagons was Joseph sent his brothers with these wagons, empty wagons, so that Jacob and his family could load up all their possessions to bring it back to Egypt. See, when he had the bunch of the, these bunch of empty wagons here, they had 10 donkeys carrying the best of the land of Egypt, in verse number 23. We see how this meeting between Jacob's and, Jacob and his sons began to unfold. See, we first see that the wagons came with problems. Notice the words, they told him all the words of Joseph. We've got to let that sink in for a moment. For over 25 years, these men have allowed their father to believe that his favorite son was dead and not alive, that he'd been killed by some animals out in the wilderness. For 25 years, they had deceived their father, and they had deprived him of the companionship that he could have had with his son Joseph. But now they stand before him, and everything begins to come out. That they lied all these years, that he's still alive, and all these things, all the cover-ups. Could you imagine being in the place of Jacob in his old age? I mean, all of this must have confused him more than ever, as every bit of the story begins to unfold. Joseph's still alive. No, you can't be alive. You told me he died in the wilderness because he found his coat. He was eaten by some wilderness animal out there. Well, Dad, unfortunately, we've got to be honest with you. That's not true. We actually threw him in a pit at first. We we're going to leave him to die. You were the ones that were going to You're the ones who killed him? What? No, we didn't kill him. We actually decided not to kill him. We decided to sell him into slavery. You did what to your brother? You know, and all this begins to, every little detail that comes out just has to be more and more confusing. Maybe anger, anger came through, and as they told him the lies that they had told him, and all this pain and suffering that he had been experienced. But on the other hand, hope begins to spring up in his heart. Hope begins to sprout out. Maybe, what if what they are telling me is the truth after all? What if Joseph really is alive? Is, is this even possible? And so the wagons brought some problems at first. They I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know how this is, uh, well, like, it's actually bringing some contention because all of the truth of what the brothers had done all these years is coming out. But with the wagons also came proof as well. Because as Jacob listened to these boys tell the tale, he, the, a story that he, and deep down his heart, really wanted to believe, but he couldn't believe anything that his sons had told him because they've been liars all this time before also, if this is true. So he's in this conundrum. But as these doubts coerced through his mind, perhaps one of the sons sensed the difficulty that his father was having with the story. And maybe they said, Father, if you can't take our word for it, then just look outside. Just look at what Joseph has sent us from Egypt. I can just see Jacob kind of making his way out the tent door and seeing the wagons there and the donkeys pulling the wagons. And realizing that everything that they had said is true. And notice his words in verse number 28. It 
is enough. What I see is enough for me to believe. What I am experiencing, what I'm hearing is enough for me to believe that this is true. And for the first time in over 20 years, perhaps a smile begins to creep up onto the face of Jacob. For the first time in as many years, maybe tears of joy begin to spill down this old man's face. And for the first time in decades, laughter erupts from his mouth as he cries, It is enough. I will gladly go see him. And Jacob saw the wagons and he was satisfied. You see, the wagons brought problems, but with the wagons came proof, and with the wagons also came a purpose. Look at verse number 19. Back in verse number 19. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Jacob, Joseph gave purpose as to why to, to send the wagons. He said, I'm sending them so that they can bring back your family. And throughout these chapters, Joseph have been, has been a consistent picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus in Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers, in his role as the Savior in their lives, in his sufferings, in his righteousness. And we also see the face of Jesus in this account as well. Just as surely as Joseph sent his wagons to carry his father safely into Egypt, our Savior has given us some very precious things as a believer that we can hold fast to, that he's going to provide and to take care of us here on our journey from this life to the next. You could call them the heavenly wagons, if you may. And what the Lord has provided for us, he's provided his spirit, John chapter 16 and verse number 13, John 14 and verse number 18. He's provided his presence, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20, Hebrews 13, 5. He provides for us his, or he gives provisions in Philippians 4, 19 and Matthew 6 and verses 25 through 34. He's given us his word, which will help provide for us and to take care of us. Psalm 119, 105, Job 23, 12. He's provided for our salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, John 3, 16, and Acts chapter 16, and verse number 31. And he's promised us his return. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, John 14, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. But can I close with this this morning? Not only have we seen a tale of worry and a tale of wagons, but how this story begins to show us how God takes despair and dread and turns it into great victory we also are introduced to a tale of worship. A tale of worship. Notice the first seven verses of chapter 46. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto God, unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in a vision of that night, of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also, I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba and his sons, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, and his sons and his sons' sons with him, and his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. So I don't know if you, can, if you really notice this or not, but in verses 25 through 27, the brothers uh, returned home and told a broken, 
doubting man named Jacob that Joseph was alive. But as I pointed out, that when he sees the truth of it, when he responds in faith, the Bible immediately begins to speak about him as Israel again. See, you see, Jacob was a man's, uh, was the man's fleshly name. We said it means deceiver or schemer or trickster. Jacob was all of those things and more. But one night near, the brook, uh, near a brook, uh, Jacob met the Lord and he wrestled through the night with, with God and, and Jacob received a new name. The Lord changed his name to Israel. This name means Prince of God. This is found in Genesis 32, verse number 28. This was now his spiritual name. And you see how the transformation where Jacob, when, when, when referred to as Jacob, he's doubting in fear, doubting it at, without faith. But as he's beginning and in, 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 uh, he's referred to as Israel, he's working and living in faith. But we still see that this is a man that still struggles with it all, don't we? Because we'll look at verse number one of chapter 46. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. But we find in verse number two that he begins to have a vision and God responds to Jacob and he says, fear not. We see his fear. He begins to take his possessions, and he heads with his family into Egypt, and uh, notice that Pharaoh had sent word that they would not need their stuff uh, when they came down to Egypt. Go back to chapter 45 and look at verse number 20. He says, take the wagons, you're going to take the wagons, you're going to get your family and your wives, your little ones, your father going to come, but notice what he says in verse number 20. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. He says, you don't need to bring anything with you. Because I'm going to take care of you. Everything Egypt has is yours. But what do we read that Jacob does? He loads up not only his family, but we also read that he loads up everything that he also had. It says, that he, it says in verse number 6, And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. So they disregarded the word that they were just supposed to come themselves. Isn't that how we act half the time? We know that God is faithful, we know that we have God's promise, and we know that God says He's going to provide for us, but in our fear, we still sit there and say, well, I better pack this along with me also, because I'm probably going to need this along the way, and uh, this one also, and uh, I'm not going to make it known, but I'm going to hold it back here just in case, and, and we, we just kind of try to tuck things away on our own when we know, we already know that God's going to provide, He's going to take care of it, but we kind of have that fear a little bit, but we begin to see Jacob's faith on display as well. Bible says he came to Beersheba, and this was on the very southern part of Canaan. And there he, he begins to worship the Lord, and the Lord reveals to him that it's okay to go. Surely Jacob would have remembered the story of Abraham and his troubles as he went into Egypt. His grandfather, right? And all the problems that he would have had going into Egypt and all those things. And, and so now he's worried, am I supposed to go there? Should I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the promised land now. Am I but God gives him the okay and says that you are right where you're supposed to be. Go ahead and go. And Jacob's example is a good one for us to follow today. Before we take a very big step in our life, it's always good to go to the Lord and ask for his guidance. But as we see as in the last few verses, we also notice Jacob's future. Jacob hears the word of the Lord. He moves to follow God. And because he does, the family of Israel is preserved throughout the famine. More importantly, they are in a position to be protected by all the armies of Egypt as well. 
Over the next few hundred years, they will grow from a struggling family all the way into a nation of numbering a few million people, all because Jacob followed God. He put his family in a position to be blessed by the Lord, and therefore we see his family blessed. I wonder where does the text find us today? Does it find us living in doubt and fear? Does it find us worrying about what's going to take place? Remember, God is enough. Does it find us needing maybe heavenly provision for our journey as we go along? Remember, God is enough. Does it find us needing direction? And as we make the next step in our life for the Lord, remember that He is enough. Our Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. We ask that You bless our time in it. And we ask that it would honor and glorify You through all that we do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.